What's up, heroes? Welcome to the Producer Life Podcast, episode 86. Today, I'm joined by David Lopez, an audio engineer who runs David Lopez Audio and also performs under the artist name Didactic. He's an audio engineer, consultant, educator, producer, DJ, and Ableton certified trainer. He's got over 20 years of experience and holds a degree in audio technology from SAE, where he also spent seven years teaching recording arts and sciences. Today, David talks with us about his musical background, launching David Lopez Audio, gain staging for live performances, and he walks us through his mixing process in detail. Before we get too far, though, I want to sincerely thank our show's sponsor, Melodics.com. If you're looking to incorporate more of a live performance element into your DJ sets and want to learn to finger drum, this is absolutely the way to do it. Melodics.com offers a desktop app that makes it really fun to learn how to finger drum, play the piano, or even play drums. It also works with just about any MIDI controller, MIDI keyboard, or even an electronic drum set, and it's available anytime you want to practice. One of the things I really like about the Melodics desktop app is its customizability. So you get to pick your lessons based on your ability level. You can select from different musical styles that you want to practice to. You can speed the session up or slow it down as you get better. You can adjust the volume on the metronome or the backing track and and a bunch of other options. And what this does for you is it helps speed up the learning process and make it a whole lot more enjoyable as you jam along to music that you enjoy at your own pace. If you've ever played games like Guitar Hero, you're going to love it. There's no cost for trying out Melodics. They've got 60 free lessons for you to try out. And from there, if you'd like to subscribe to unlock additional premium content, use ProducerLife-20. That's ProducerLife, one word, dash 20. And that'll get you 20% off of an annual subscription or 20% off of a monthly subscription for the first three months. And it helps support this podcast. And now, cue the intro music. All right, David, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. I appreciate the invite. You are most welcome. This is going to be a terrific conversation about, uh, I think, music education and DJing and mixing and mastering and audio engineering and all sorts of good stuff. Awesome. I hope I have uh, some tidbits to to impart to share with uh, your listeners. I, I'm, I'm sure you do. You, uh, you've been doing this for, what, 20 years now? Something like that. Uh, I've been involved with music my entire life from a very young age, about four or five years old. Um, but yeah, professionally around 20, a little over 20 years. Um, and just working in, in lots of different uh, you know, areas of music and audio production. Uh, so yeah, something like that, 20-ish years. <laughs> All right. So um, you, you said you got your start when you were four or five. Um, tell me about that. How did things begin for you? Yeah, so I was just uh, very fortunate to to come from a musical family. I had like, you know, uncles and great uncles uh, that were professional musicians, and everyone in my family played music. Uh, my mom was a vocalist, my dad was guitar, self taught. Uh, my sisters on piano, my brother on literally like six instruments, um, like brass and uh, strings. So I was fortunate to be just around music, and uh, my family just has a, a love for music. So around four or five years old, I started with piano, did that a few years. Then I jumped into saxophone uh, all through school, like uh, elementary school, middle school, jazz band, all that stuff up until high school. Um, And then I started getting into percussion and drums. Not too far after that, kind of later in high school, that I started getting into electronic music and DJing. So I've just been fortunate to to kind of had access to and had support um, for musical endeavors my whole life. Um, but yeah, and then kind of, you know, after high school is when I, you know, kind of moved more into the, the professional realm, which was the end of high school, uh, with some performance stuff and some, um, then later I, I went and studied audio engineering and really got heavy on the tech side. With all of that musical background, did you ever consider any other careers or was it always music? I mean, it was pretty much, you know, I think from high school when I even really was, you know, just started really thinking about a career path, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty quick that it was going to be something related to audio. 
uh, to music and or, or audio technology. Um, you know, I didn't end up going to school to study music theory. Uh, I ended up going and, and studying, you know, audio technology and recording arts. So, yeah, there wasn't really much of an option. It was kind of a thing. So, with all that background in musical instruments and and your family, what made you opt for the more technical route as opposed to the more, I guess, artistic route with the music theory and and sort of a musical performance degree? Yeah, uh, good question. I think. Uh, probably what really kind of spurred my interest initially on on the tech side uh, was when I my first recording session that I did in a major studio. Uh, this was in San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, where I lived for many years or for numerous years in high school and a few different times throughout my life. Um, but I had this this project. It was like a punk rock kind of ska band. We were called the Absentees, um, and we managed to have a little bit of success down there in Puerto Rico and kind of pushed the envelope a little with uh, kind of the punk rock scene. And we ended up having our, our first real recording session at a major studio. And I was just kind of taken aback, man. I was like, what is all this stuff? You know, how does it all work? Um, so yeah, I had to focus on my drum performance, but I was just like super interested in the whole process. So that would have to be like that one pivotal moment that made me really think, oh, what's up on the technical side? Um, and I think. You know, there's a little bit of, I was hoping to find some stability and still being able to, you know, work in the music industry and pursue the musical side, but give myself that education opportunity to, to no matter what, if it was up or down or if it wasn't doing that well on the artist type side, that I'd still always be working with things that I love. Okay. Well, good. Well, maybe that's a good uh, segue into uh, David Lopez audio. So that's, that's your business that uh, tell me a little bit about that and what, when that came about? Yeah, so I've I've had uh, David Lopez Audio going on formally for about five years at this point. Um, prior to that, I was in education heavy for a few years. I was actually full time with SAE, uh, the Atlanta campus uh, where I'm based. Um, so uh, yeah, so I left there teaching full time, and I just started doing like freelance work again, getting into live sound. Uh, kind of on the musical side, I was doing a bit of like corporate audio, which I've done over the years, you know, like uh, working for, you know, being brought in by these production companies, doing stuff like conferences, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I did the freelance thing for a bit. And uh, but I really felt like then it was time to kind of formalize things and really, you know, create my own company and you know register this company and really develop something. So that's kind of where it started. Um and, you know, it's really just, it's a way for me to work in all the different things that I do in audio. So uh, sometimes I'm doing consulting. I do a lot of education. Uh, sometimes I'm, you know, doing studio work, uh, tracking or mixing. Um, sometimes I'm doing live sound. So, yeah, I think it was just leaving that full-time position and being education for a while, doing the freelance thing and feeling like, all right, you know, I need to, to kind of step things up and really brand myself and create this formal company and try to push it forward. So it sounds very much like an ex a natural extension of your your freelance work. Yeah, I'd say absolutely. It was really just kind of packaging it and branding it, you know? Um, yeah, and just formalizing a company. What uh, With working with live audio a lot, um, what would you say when you go in and you're doing consulting? What are some of the big things that people like, – like the big mistakes that people make with live audio? What what are some common errors that, that, for example, a mobile DJ would be interested in avoiding in their setups? Yeah, good question. So I will say this. like A lot of the consulting that I do is a little more like production-related and studio-related, but there still are kind of some live sound things as well. Um, if it were – and what were you saying again? Kind of like a DJ, like a mobile DJ situation or something like that? Yeah, there's a, I, and, and the reason this is on my mind, I was there's a yeah. Facebook group, Bad DJ Setups, and you know some yeah. of them are just absolutely cringy, but I'm thinking you – you have seen probably some bad setups in your years. Um, what are some common mistakes when people are setting up their PAs, their subs, their mixers yeah. that, that, that they should avoid? So I think sometimes just like really considering the venue and placement of say your speakers and subs um, just to get like optimal sound and optimal throw throughout the venue. Um, 
I also, what I found a lot with, with people that maybe don't have that formal training is really poor gain staging. People are just not watching, you know, in a proper, you know, appropriately adjusting levels, getting that good signal to noise ratio with their inputs, even just on DJ rigs, you know, you know, as well as me and, and DJing out and you see it at clubs, you see it at corporate, it doesn't matter. But yeah, people are just like redlining heavy just from their players, you know what I mean? Just going into the mixer. Um, and then the output from the mixer often redlining as well. And don't get me wrong. There's, I think there's a little, um, misconception that like, if, you know, if you hit the red, it's like terribly bad and not necessarily uh, most meters. If you're hitting the red, you either are distorting, you're overloading, or you're close to it. In many cases, you're close to it. So I kind of lean more on like, Hey, if you're hitting the red from time to time and you're not hearing any audible distortion, then Hey, I think you're all right. Um, but yeah, just like proper gain staging and understanding that you have to keep a good, healthy signal level throughout your entire chain, and regardless of you know if you're going through a lot of different devices or a very simple rig. So I think for kind of that more like DJ, mobile DJ example, I think those would be the biggest things. Just really think about your environment, making sure also that you, you have the appropriate PA for that venue and for the audience. Is it a 50-person crowd? Is it a 500-person crowd? And making sure that you have, you know, enough power and amplitude and placing the stuff well. And yeah, just keeping a good clean signal, uh, regardless of what you're running through. So, yeah, I've, I've heard I've heard the rule of thumb for mobile DJs is like five decibels per audience member or something like that. What how do you feel about rules of thumb like that or what do you use to calculate yeah, so I don't really have anything specific. It's more, it's almost kind of instinctual, um, you know, and thinking, you know, I'll just kind of think, all right, well, there are 100 people here, the 200 people. If it's something like, you know, 100 people and not that big of a venue, like you might be cool with like two full range, uh, you know, 15 inch speakers um, and, you know, at least one sub. I'd probably still like to have two subs, but um you know, I got to say, there's not. it's not like I have some specific formula that I run to, and, you know, I appreciate that engineers do and, and their specialties, but um, it's kind of just instinctual and thinking, hey, is like just a stereo pair going to work for me? Is a single sub, do I think that's going to throw and carry through this big of an audience? Um, once you start getting to bigger crowds, you know, 150, over 100 towards 200 plus, then yeah, I'm probably bringing in another pair, kind of like some side fills. Um so yeah, I don't I don't have anything too specific on that. It, it's almost become kind of instinctual, really. Okay, and and what's your? You were talking a lot about the importance of signal flow and gain staging. Can you walk my listeners through kind of that? Pro, what's your basic process for making sure you've got strong signal flow throughout? Yeah, so I mean, really, it's just about you know like signal flow in general. It's just about going from the very beginning from your source. Right, and then working your way through from your transducers, your microphones, or your players in the DJ rig. So always start at the beginning, you know. Um, so yeah, if I've got a, a, a dialogue mic, you know, a vocal mic, um, I just want to make sure that that input se- sensitivity is good. It's a good, healthy level, but isn't distorting. And then next up, that's going to feed through that XLR into a channel. Um, or I'm sorry, you know, you're gain staging on the channel anyway. But um, one thing is kind of like, hey, just that so you're not hitting the mic too hard then the mic actually going into a channel that you've got good gain staging there. And then whatever sources, whether it's, you know, three or six or 10 or whatever it might be, um, that you've got good gain staging on your master, that you're not overloading your master. Right. Um, And then we move on to, you know, let's say you're using some active monitors, some subs, and they're going through to, to some tops, just that that output isn't hitting your subs too hot either. And then that pass through that's going to your full range that you've got a good healthy level and you aren't distorting there. So, you know, I think what's interesting about gain staging is it's really very easy, yet somehow it's still kind of overlooked. I think people just don't really have the right training or the knowledge are not aware to look at those things. Um, But for me, the process is really literally start at the beginning, start at the source. Um, You know, if I have a microphone on a guitar cabinet, whatever, like I want to make sure that that sound is coming good, you know, through that amp and out of that, that speaker cabinet at a good level. I'm going to think about my positioning of the microphone. And then again, that I've got good gain staging from there on. So make sure you've got a good source. Um, think about placement of the microphone, if it's a microphone situation versus something that's going direct in, like a line out of a DJ mixer. Um, but yeah, literally pick every single point, A, B, C, D, E, and monitor that. 
to make sure uh, what's going out of one device is at a good, healthy level, and it's going at a good, healthy level. You know, the, the next device in the chain is receiving that at a good, healthy level, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, and using your ears too. You know, like uh, we have all these visual uh, resources, and we should utilize them. Uh, but I always say, hey, you know, rely on your ears most. Um, so I hope that helps a bit. It's just, you got to look at every step in the chain from the source all the way to your final, you know, driving your speakers or your final output. Okay, good. Um, you've got, when I was looking at your website and your Facebook page, you've got a very diverse set of clientele, everything from clubs to corporate to, to kids with some of your, your summer camps that you've been running. What, what are, what's the major difference between working with like a club versus a corporate client or or is there much difference is it all the same yeah i mean i i don't think there is too much um at the end of the day these are still live events right it's live audio production and ultimately everything has to be going into your system into your main console and everything has to be clear going out um i think it's just it's really more just kind of different frames of mind uh, in the club. You're dealing with, you know, club owners and you're dealing with a lot of promoters. Um, and, you know, sad but true, I'm sure you know, and I've, I've, you know, seen and especially well, in the music scene, especially even in the electronic music scene, um, as I know you're heavily involved in and me as well. Uh, unfortunately, there's, you know, there's just a lot of egos. There's a lot of attitudes, right? And there's a lot of like impatience. Um and people aren't knowledgeable. You're there as the professional. It's like, oh, hey, this doesn't sound good. This, you know, people are very quick to like bark at what they think isn't right. You know, even though they have no idea what's going on. So, um, you know, going back to your main question, you're still dealing with keeping a client happy, with keeping a promoter happy. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, it's just all the sources, everything that's going on, all that program material has to sound good either way, and the clients have to be happy either way. Uh, but on the corporate side, you you get attitudes, you get, you know, people are under a lot of stress creating these events for months. They don't understand what you're doing technically. They just, you know, want to jump on you quick. So I think for the most part, it, you're kind of dealing with the same stuff. Ultimately, it's keeping the client happy and making the system sound good. Um, but yeah, it, it can be tough kind of in the club and the more musical side. And just there's there tends to be a little more ego. Um like, for example, this has happened to me. Here's a, a kind of interesting, I think it's an interesting story, kind of funny. It's happened to me like three times now. And, um, you know, I had a system up and running. Uh, some of these were like one-off shows uh, here in Atlanta with like, you know, a PA that brought, you know was brought in or I was brought in to run a PA. Um, and some were in like, you know, standing established clubs. But, um, you know, I had the system running great, everything gained stage popular, a nice balance throughout the venue. And then all of a sudden the DJ comes on and it sounded like shit. And mm. I quickly am double checking my stuff and what's going on. And, you know, I might run up to the booth or to the stage and like, I'm hearing distortion, right? Like something's funky. All of a sudden the quality has gone way down. Things are distorted. What is up? So, you know, do a quick check on my, on my console. Um, you know, I might have some dynamic range processing, some compression, blah, blah, blah. Did I hit something by accident? But, you know, in all these cases, like, the night was already just up and running smooth. Like there's not that much more to do at that point than kind of babysit, keep those levels on point, um, you know, adjust the highs, adjust the subs a little bit, things like that. But so, yeah, anyway, a few times this happened, all of a sudden the DJ comes on and it just sounds terrible. I check my stuff. I go up to the, to the booth. Um, you know, in some cases they are distorting a little bit, but like, that's not the source. And so like the three times this happened, it was literally had to do with like super, it was just super low quality, files mp3s on people's drives you know like syncing from record box um and i'm trying to think is there something else in that situation but yeah what it comes down to is it was completely out of my out of my control i was doing my job um one time someone had like there were some errors or something when they synced to record box so not only were there there was it like uh just low quality audio and they just have like low quality mp3s but there were dropouts like one time it's just the middle of the night and all of a sudden like tracks are just like stopping for two seconds were they trying to stream it no no these were just like live venues like in the club or outside a club with some party one-off party where we brought in a pa but yeah like just super low quality audio low quality files um you know like mishaps with the sync just like corrupt stuff corrupt files audio dropping out 
And literally, there was nothing that I could do. And I'm still trying to figure out the whole time. You know, promoters come over. David, what's going on? I'm like, hey, I'm looking. All good. Just stay patient. I'll, I'll continue looking into it. I said, but honestly, I'm not seeing anything on my side. How do you politely say the DJ's files sound like crap? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty much just the way I was saying it there. I mean, and I'm, I won't, you know, say that directly, but, you know, as I said, it's all about keeping your clients, you know, calm. You got to stay calm, which is so much easier said than done when shit just goes awry. So I really do just, just like I was mentioning it there, I try to keep just a calm tone and, Hey, you know, I'm sorry this is going on. I I am looking into it already. I promise we'll figure it out. Just stand by, please, and I'll continue looking into it. And yeah, a couple of times there was literally nothing I could do. It was only when that DJ left and the next DJ came up did all of a sudden the sound just snapped right back um, to this <laughs> high quality. I've even had times where friends of mine, colleagues that are you know accomplished uh, producers and engineers and musicians, and they'll be present in the club and they like come over. They're like dude, I was really wondering what was happening. Like, I know you know your shit, David. Like, what was good? And I'm like, yep, it turned out it was just like corrupt files and super low, low, uh, you know, quality MP3s. And yeah, they were just taking them out. They're like, dude, I know what you do. <laughs> um, so they're like, we couldn't understand what it was. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, it was It was not on your part. So, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and I, and I just, uh, <laughs> with the promoter, same thing. I'm like, it could be his files. It could be, you know, their files, their drive, whatever it is. But I promise you, I've checked everything in my system, and I, I don't see any issues whatsoever. And then, boom, their set is over, and all of a sudden, it sounds great again. So that's that's the nature of the game, you know. It, it's live; it's on the fly. Shit yeah. happens. You just do the best you can. You know what's what's your opinion on the the perpetual debate about three twenty kilobit MP threes versus uh, Wave or AIFF? Do you can, can you hear a difference? Do you play lossless formats versus uh, compressed formats when you're performing live? Yeah, so great question. Um, I know there are a few different parts there, but I I really do nowadays do just three twenty uh, MP threes for that DJ stuff and. I used to always have, like, I am an audiophile. I, I'm an audio engineer. I always err towards that super high quality audio. Um, but no, I don't think there's that big of a difference in the club environment. Things are really loud. Um, I think you're fine with those 320 MP3s. That's what I've been rocking for a while. But yeah, at first for like years in the digital domain, I was like, wave, wave, wave. Like, I like uncompressed, full fidelity, um, you know, resolution audio um but yeah on the dj tip i'm cool with you know higher quality mp3s uh but i don't ever have anything under that 320 okay one of the other things that you do as i understand with david lopez audio is um mixing and mastering for clients what uh can you talk us through i guess first question I assume since you're an ableton certified instructor are you using ableton for mixing and mastering or are you also using some other daw awesome so uh, you know, I've been using Ableton for about 10 years now, but I was a heavy uh, Pro Tools user, and I still use it from time to time. I don't currently have my, I was doing it like subscription-based for a while, like month to month, so I don't currently have that active. Um, so on the mixing side, and just even tracking, right, like if I was working with a band, um, I really used to be on the straight engineering versus the more production and composition. I was really all about Pro Tools for many, many years. Um, and it's only in the last few years, like two to three, um, that I kind of started leaving Pro Tools behind and doing all of that mixing stuff and even tracking in Ableton. Um, with Live 11, 11 excuse me, and the, the takes and the comping features that were added, um, that's really made me even more comfortable and very happy about doing straight tracking for others. Uh, and editing. I mean, editing, of course, was always very easy in there, like really any other DAW, but mixing. Yeah. So it was Pro Tools for a while, now for the last, or for a long time. And uh, for the last few years on that straight engineering tip, two-ish, maybe a little plus, I really do all of that stuff in Ableton. Um, but yeah, the, the, some of those enhancements in Live 11, I've heard this all across the board. You know, really people are really happy about that stuff. So if somebody sends you um, a bunch of stems for an electronic track, can you walk us briefly through sort of your mixing process and what, what tools and plugins you use? Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I always start my sessions out just by organizing them properly and acclimating myself to the, you know, the elements that are present, um, you know, from that artist or producer, whoever sent me the track. Um, so I'm really big on like just workflow and keeping your sessions very easy to understand, easy on the eyes and just kind of focusing on the things that you want. So number one is just making sure I've got good quality audio files. They're solid throughout, um, acclimating myself to what is present, what the, you know, what the different elements are, um, bringing them in the session, organizing that session. I'm big on color coding. I generally go from like a darker to a lighter. So usually on the far left or at the top, depending on, you know, what view you're looking at, uh, or how you're looking at things. Um, I will have my drums. And I, and I group things like right off the bat too. So maybe there's eight tracks or 12 tracks of acoustic drums. I'm going to bring them in and I have my way. I always like kick, snare, hat, tom, one, two, three, overhead left and right, room left and right, um, which is like, you know, kind of a standard just type of setup for live tracking drums. Then I'll have my bass group after that, um, which might be, you know, one mic and one DI if it's more of a live sound type situation. Um, and then, you know, maybe guitars keys whatever vocals other things maybe some synths or whatever it is but um organization is key you know you have to acclimate yourself to all the elements that are there uh, to you know what you're working with and you got to organize that session very well um once i'm in that good spot and that usually is my first session i might not even like really be mixing one day i'm just like downloaded the files checking them out hearing the song a little bit organizing it color coding it right then when i really go to work the first thing that I like to do is really get the best balance that I can of all the elements without using any processing. Like I don't jump right in. I really try to just get the best blend of all these elements just using faders. Right? And by mm -hmm. the way, another thing I'll check is you know that the, you know there's good gain staging with all the files. It's very easy in the digital domain. Of course, if something's just really on the low side, you know you can just gain it up. Um, so just to mention that as well. But yeah, getting back into the mix process. Yeah, I want to get the best blend possible without using any processing whatsoever. No spectral stuff, no EQ, no filtering, no dynamic stuff. Just get it sounding good. And also do some initial kind of panning and working with the stereo image a little bit. Spend a little time to get that the best I can. After that, I tend to... Um, well, I mean, it just varies from time to time. But um, I like to often compress before equalizing. Um, but a lot of times I just kind of start putting on EQs and just trying to get like a basic um, little blend of, 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 you know, tonally what's going on in the song and maybe high passing certain things or just using a low shelf to control the bottom a little bit. Um, but I kind of go towards getting a bit of a spectral balance, like a tonal balance, right? So first I'm just dealing with amplitude, getting things the best I can. Often I'm trying to work a little bit after that on the spectral side of things, basically EQ and filtering. Um, and then uh, there's the dynamic range component. And these things still like move around, you know what I mean? There is no exact, you know, way that it always goes. Um, but, you know, I want to control dynamics and get things kind of sitting where I want. You know, compressing things will generally make them, us perceive them as louder. It also has a, an effect on like a sense of depth, which a lot of people starting out don't really think about that element in a mix. They're just thinking about like levels. They're thinking about panning, maybe tonal balance. And yeah, what do you mean by a, what do you mean by a sense of depth when you compress? Yeah. yeah, very good. So literally, like a forward back element to a mix, right? So generally, things that are more compressed, they have a smaller or tighter dynamic range. Dynamic range just being that range from like the softer portion of the signal to the louder portion of the signal, right? So when you when things have a, a smaller dynamic range, we tend to perceive them as louder even if they're not, and a little more up front, a little more like in your face, like towards you, you know what I mean, um, versus back. So, um, yeah, I mean, does that make some sense? It's literally kind of like, oh, your lead vocal is center and more in front. Your background vocals are a little further behind that. And reverb, of course, can, can add to this too, the time-based effect stuff. Um, but just with compression alone, like I tend to compress my background vocals a little bit less, a little dynamic, and they tend to, to feel and and you hear them a little further behind say a lead vocal um, interesting so yeah that's, okay. that's kind of what i mean with, with sense of depth a sense of depth um okay. 
but yeah, and so you know, ultimately, when I'm getting the d- dynamics in play, and then then I tend to lead, move more towards the end of it, uh, towards like the sense of space, so like reverb, right? Um, which often I'm just using like two reverbs. You know, you're not using that many different reverbs. It depends on the type of music as well, right? Because I'm going to approach things differently in a more electronic scenario than if I'm working with like a rock band, right? Um, but that sense of space is often to just give a shared sense of space. Um, so I often only have like a few, you know, two or three reverbs, like a shorter, a more mid-length, and a longer. Um, but yeah, and then after kind of the sense of space, I move more into kind of the sprinkling on top, um, like uh, things that just add kind of interest, like delay throws and stuff like that. So um that's kind of like overall just basically how i run through a mix the one thing is that i do also sometimes i focus more on the dynamics before the the like tonal spectral side um because i i tend to like to yeah kind of compress before equalizing there's a big debate on that i'm sure you heard as well it's like eq before comp or comp before eq and what i say is there is no right or wrong i mean sometimes you can literally just swap you know the flow the sigma flow and move one device you know behind the other and see you know how that's affecting the signal and maybe you like it more um but in general i tend to compress first um and then uh equalize because when you compress it actually affects you know you're actually making certain like softer sounds louder right Mm compression is kind of crazy in that it works on the top end the louder portion of the signal and it pushes it down Uh, but at the same time once you've got a, a more controlled smaller dynamic range by pushing those louder sounds and the signal down, well, the last step in your process of compression is using output gain or makeup gain to make up for um, that attenuation, that drop in amplitude pushing the bottom, I'm sorry, the, the loud portion down. So when you use your output gain, you're actually taking the softer sounds and you're pushing them back up, right? Along with the top end going back to where you were originally. I hope I didn't get overly techy or confusing with that, but long story short, when you compress you're gonna bring up this particularly with the output gain you're gonna bring up the softer portions of your signal so compression is gonna affect your spectral content your your tonal content um so i tend to like to kind of get the dynamics where i want first and then the resulting tonal content then i'm eqing that i'm contouring that and the last thing i'll say on that is that you know you can use uh, you know multiple instances of any device so you know you can eq a bit and then you can press and then you can eq a little bit more mm-hmm. right because it you know the that tonal content has changed a little bit from the compression um but to sum up the whole thing man i'm kind of like yeah levels get them on point basic stereo imaging start getting into like dynamic range control spectral control with equalization and filtering stuff like that then i move on more to sense of space with reverb then i get a little more creative with the sprinkling on top and you know distortion automating things adding delay throws, throw, throw, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's one of the ways I always explain it to my students. I'm like, delay, delay, delay. So, um, yeah, that's kind of it. And, you know, watching gain staging all the way throughout. Um, and, yeah, and I, so I guess the other thing I put in there is I tend to do more individual processing first, and I tend to leave my groups alone in getting, as far as group processing, and just getting everything as tight as I can without that group, you know, bus compression on, on the bass bus or on the drum bus or whatever it is. Um, I think it makes sense. This kind of goes back to um, getting your levels set and just kind of working with the mix just with levels and no processing. You kind of want to do the best you can at every stage so that the next stage is a, a little bit easier. Um, so, yeah, by individually working with all your individual processing and getting that to sound as on point and solid as you can, then you're probably going to have to do less. It's true. You're going to have to do less in on your bus processing, on your group processing. Um, so, yeah, I hope I didn't uh, ramble too much on that one, but let me know if, you know, there was anything I didn't hit there. No, that was, for there. that was a terrific walkthrough. And, and, and I think that... that concise way of explaining things goes to your years of being an educator as well, which which uh, I guess kind of brings up your Ableton Live 101, 201, and 301 that, that you've got available on your website. Can you uh, tell my listeners a little bit about those courses and what what they'll learn there? 
Yeah, uh, and I really appreciate you mentioning them. And the one thing I'll say about this course is that I got really hit. Well, I mean, that's a whole other thing, but we all got hit so hard with the pandemic and definitely for me on the live sound stuff. But uh, the reason I mentioned this is because I actually went to launch those courses. They were literally going to launch in March of 2020. Um, so I just had to cut them completely. Um, and uh, it was only in the last you know, few months as things have gotten better that I've gone to to launch them again. And currently the way I have it set is to do some fall courses here starting soon, but I've got some other contracts and some things that have come my way. So unfortunately, it looks like I'm going to be pushing them back till January. Um, but either way, those are happening. Um, and the whole my whole approach with these courses is, um, well, one, I mostly, up until now, uh, up until these courses, I've mostly offered kind of, you know, a la carte, a lot of one-on-one, right? Like it was mostly one-on-one. I would go to the client or student, here and there, they would come to me if I knew them and they were vetted and I felt comfortable comfortable bringing them to my to my setup. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of one-on-one and I would do seminars and stuff like that. Like churches might call me in for live playback stuff or you know, a college or university might bring me in to do something. But I wanted to start offering like group instruction. And, you know, I also thought, you know, I want to do something different. And so my whole approach with these courses is in studio small group, you know, hands-on courses. There's definitely going to be a theory component as well. But yeah, they are taking place and I'm actually doing them out of Onda Blue, uh, which is a, a smaller, basically private studio here, but a professional spot, no doubt. Um, but they don't, you know, do too much advertising and stuff. It's more for a few people that work out of there and their clients, right? Um, but this is a, you know, a fully functional, professional studio um so yeah i wanted students to be able to come and be in a group but not have it be too many right because i still want to have like fairly individualized attention mm-hmm. um so i'll do these classes from really like i will still run them for two students at a bare minimum but usually we're looking at like four to six students that's it at some point i might up it to eight but yeah i want it to be like intimate you know so you still feel like you're getting some some one-on-one attention but you have other people to, to play off of and work with and you know, to network with and stuff like that. So yeah, there are three tiers. It's pretty much what it sounds like a one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one, you know, uh, a beginner for really little to no experience whatsoever and intermediate. Uh, if you have, you know, a basic understanding of say lives, Ableton, uh, Ableton lives user interface or basic concepts relating to kind of gain staging or basic concepts for mixing stuff like that. And then the advanced going just a little further, digging more into like, synthesis and you know sound design and uh like even some digital audio theory and you know rendering and dither and basic mastering so it really is yeah kind of beginner intermediate and then more advanced but all about being small group courses in a real world studio environment so i'm really excited about it i just have had multiple hurdles the biggest one being the pandemic then i was ready to launch and yeah, I, I got this uh, great contract with the school here, this this phenomenal, very progressive thinking project-based high school in Atlanta called The New School. Um, and so I'm running and teaching their audio production program, which I'm just lecturing twice a week, or a total of about four hours. Um, but I was brought in kind of last minute, and I really had a lot of work to do uh, just in kind of putting things together and figuring out how I wanted to um, develop the curriculum and lay that out for the year. So I think I'm going to have to push back a little bit, and I'm thinking about using uh, kind of the holiday time to make a good marketing push. Okay. Um, and, you know, I'll probably push them back till January. But I'm really excited about it, and it is happening. And, yeah, you can all find all that stuff, of course, on my website. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure to have a link to that. Now, is that going to be like a eight-hour-a-day thing, or is that like evening classes, or what are you picturing? Yeah, very good. So what I'm doing right now, it's it'll really be like 100 minutes per lecture. It's going to be once a week. And then each class period, each session is uh, 100 minutes. It's like an hour and 40 minutes. Um, and then that is for six weeks, right? So basically, you know, depending on how you look at it, whatever, you're getting like 600 minutes of, um, of you know, of instruction. But um, yeah, so just weekly, once a week in the evenings, these are adult classes. I am looking to do some kind of after-school program things earlier in that four to five range. And do pretty much the same thing, small group classes, but for like teens and stuff like that. 
Okay. Um, but yeah, if you're in 101, you, you come by once a week. You know, we're there from say six to seven forty, and then uh, at eight, I'll start like another class, like the two hundred one. Um, yeah, we'll do it for six weeks. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Well, appreciate it, man. I, I think the uh, so we've talked about um, education. We've talked about audio engineering. We've talked about David Lopez audio. I think the uh, other thing I was really looking to talk about was uh your dj project as didactic yeah. uh, which, by the way i love your name it's uh, perfect for somebody that's into music education so <laughs> i really appreciate it and uh and i thought of on that uh, quite a bit you know I've, I've pondered the name the nomenclature uh years back quite a bit but i really feel like it's appropriate because uh, you know i love all these things that i do but i really love education i do a lot of teaching and it's something that's very fulfilling to me so I felt that didactic uh, was was very appropriate. Um, as far as that's concerned, yeah, I started in about like 2016 uh, as I had left full-time teaching and starting up DLA, as I say, David Lopez Audio. Um, I use that. That's the project that I will DJ with from time to time here around Atlanta. I'm not always playing in the clubs consistently here these days. It, it can come and go. Uh, the pandemic is just a whole other thing. And I really have kind of erred on the side with my family of safety. And I'm just glad things are getting better. But, you know, we've had a lot of bumps and with the Delta stuff and all that. So yeah. um, I'm not, I have not been doing as much live sound, even though I am starting to do some in the last few months. I have not been doing as many DJ gigs, uh, even though I have done a few in the last few months. I also do corporate gigs from time to time, um, uh, which, you know, are maybe not as fun as the club, but uh, they generally pay better. Uh, at least <laughs> so for someone like me that doesn't have a big name, you know. Um, so yeah, I just did a wedding, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, two three weeks ago. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's not like I'm playing on the reg too much these days. But I'm I'm looking forward to kind of getting back out there more. Um, and I also do percussion, like live percussion, and I'm starting to do some of those gigs. But uh, didactic is is the project. Um, I have released two EPs so far under this. Um, and I took kind of like a, a larger project-based approach with them. Like, um, the first one is called Undone and there are six tracks, but there's like a, a main version, which has vocals. I worked with a, I have a feature, featured vocalist, uh, Manny Cortez. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also, we put a, and this is really pushed by the label too, small label, Tricom, uh, Inc, uh, Tricom Music. They're here out of Atlanta, kind of boutique, uh, electronic label spanning a few different areas of electronic music that have been around for 10 years but this is really kind of pushed on by them and so yeah we have the the main mix with the vocal we've got the instrumental on there as well i did like a kind of a deep tech house rework in there so those three were kind of me and then there were three other remixes uh by different uh, producers on the label so six tracks but all based off of one song and i did a similar thing for a new uh, urban and reggae label for my last ep which came out I don't know, a few months ago um and that's called Justice, and it was really all about um, our stance on the current situation in the world uh, with you know racial injustice and social injustice in general. Um, and yeah, so on there too, it was kind of like based off of that main single and putting out a few tracks and kind of stacking up an EP. Um, so there's a, uh, a main uh, version, and this is kind of like reggae electronic. Uh, mm -hmm. stuff um with a, a featured artist called lion safari um and then i've got the instrumental on there as well i did a dub edit which is one of my favorites it's a little more spaced out vibey a uh, few vocals in there and then i also did a rework myself that's kind of on the bass music tip um slash like reggaeton it's kind of like yeah bass reggaeton reggae vibey stuff uh, very dubbed out so yeah, that's the second EP that I put out. That's uh, on Dark Alley Music. Again, new small independent label here, kind of urban and reggae. Um, so yeah, those are the two projects that I, that I have at the moment. I've got you know a few things in the hopper, but honestly, my sadly, it is what it is. I'm just working on other stuff, but um, my production has not been, you know, the composition production has not been in the forefront right now. Um, but that's okay. There are a few other things in the work works. Uh, I tried to push myself a little bit on the last on those two releases, the first two in working with featured artists instead of just kind of doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, the, the first one undone with Manny Cortez, it's like electronic slash bass music, -y, pop, 
it's you know it kind of hits these these different areas and then with the remixes we got kind of like a hip-hop almost trappy type thing we got a down tempo thing we've got a bass music uh remix so i wanted to push myself and kind of work with a more pop vocalist and still bring in you know my elements from my history like i used to be a big drum and bass head for many 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 years um that's what i started like dj and way back in the mid to late 90s so i think you hear those musical influences there but i want to push myself to do something different and work with other artists uh, but for my upcoming projects, when I do really start focusing on them more, I'm really going just me for the most part. Some collaborations down the line, but and I'm going to be pushing a little bit more on the 4-4 side too. and Some of that kind of deep, more international and organic um, house stuff that I'm into these days. Um, but yeah. I try to keep it diverse. I'm it seems like a lot of your sets gravitate towards house music, at least on, on mixed cloud. So um, yeah. Is that kind of the sound that you're seeing yourself evolving into as sort of a tribal how not, not maybe not tribal but international house kind of flavor? Yeah, yeah. And you know, nowadays a lot of people refer to it kind of as an organic thing. If you go up on Beatport, it's like you know, organic house, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's like deep, it's dubby, it's organic. I mean, I do love I, I love that stuff. Um, you know, you get older and I still mess with everything and I mess with some rowdier stuff too, some techie stuff from time to time, um, some bassy stuff on the four, four tip from time to time. But yeah, it's just kind of where I'm at. And you know, there's a big, a lot of people are getting that stuff in the last few years, no doubt. Um, but for me, I really, it's kind of what I did with my first two projects. One being like, you know, poppy and bass music, whatever. And the other one being reggae and electronic. I don't want to like pocket myself in it. Like, you know, I, I just do deep house. I just, you know, produce and mix techno. I just produce and mix hip hop. Like, I don't want to do that. I'm just like, I enjoy so many different styles of music. I'm influenced by, you know, so many different styles of music growing up from punk rock to like classic salsa. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. I grew up hearing a bunch of like, you know, Latin folk music. My dad's records, a bunch of old school salsa. Um, so I just love so many styles of music that I don't want to, you know, uh, box myself in. People could say there's pros and cons with that, right? Then I go, oh, well, you're kind of all over the place. But, you know, real deal, I kind of don't give a shit, right? Like, I'm trying to remind myself that the reason I got into all of this in the first place from a young age is, was how it made me feel, you know, how I think music can affect people, hopefully positively, and get them to think or get them to detach from the day-to-day. So I often have to remind myself, like, being in the music business and being in audio production, like, damn it, David, like, have fun with this. You got to do this for you. So you are going to see some stuff coming from me in that kind of deeper, organic, kind of international style, Latin stuff, a little left field, but um, dubby stuff that is coming. But I think I'm going to just keep doing whatever I feel like it. And whatever the next project comes out, if it's like a hip hop down tempo thing, dope. And if it's reggae, dope. And if it's house, dope. Um, but last thing I'll say on this, I tend to, when I play out like in the clubs here, which again is not too often, but um yeah i i'm playing house most of the time um corporate gigs of course a little different and some clubs you have to vary it up a little bit more um but yeah i'm I'm a bit of a house head too (laughs) (laughs) yep yep totally empathize with that so all right so that's that's what's next for didactic what's uh what's coming up for david lopez audio what uh aside from the big um working with the school with the uh, lectures is that is that the big project right now or do you have some other things in the works there's nothing too big in the works. it's really just uh getting these classes up and running the the group in studio classes with the music production uh with ableton live course series that 101 201 301 uh launching that in january again it's just been weird with all of these pushbacks but this is life and this is business you know we certainly couldn't have um expected this pandemic so that's kind of one big thing uh continue to push forward with with this uh just incredible this phenomenal high school that i'm working with now things are already settling down um no there's there's not like there's nothing too major you know just gonna keep doing all the things that i do right a little teaching a little consulting a little mixing you know a little mastering um so yeah it sounds like a lot of fun but but a little exhausting too at times no doubt no doubt but i wouldn't change it for anything man and i I will say this is one last thing and i'm a bit of a rambler i'm sure you can tell your listeners could tell i like (laughs) to talk that's the teacher side of me too you got to be ready to kind of keep things going but i wouldn't change anything 
like all the challenges with running your own small business, like the ups and downs, getting hit with the pandemic, like, man, it was rough. Like all my live sound stuff just disappeared, right? All the corporate DJ stuff, other DJ stuff just disappeared. But all the ups and downs, man, I wouldn't change it. I do my thing. I don't answer to anyone. And I just, I just love it. I'm just going to keep pushing forward and trying to continue developing my business and do good for my clients and just move forward. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, where can people find both David Lopez Audio and your DJ project online? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Brad. I've had a blast. I, I really appreciate you inviting me. Um, as far as checking me out, uh, you know, main place would just be my website, davidlopezaudio.com. Pretty much everything is in there. Um, on the social tip, uh, most all of my handles are David Lopez Audio, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Facebook, which I'm, I'm not too much on these days. And the real deal, I'm not too big on social media. I'm just one of those guys. It's just me. I don't like being on there too much. Um, but you certainly can find me on there and I'm, I'm still present, I think. And then really with Didactic, um, you know, SoundCloud, it's Didactic ATL, uh, MixCloud, Didactic ATL, um, Spotify, you can just search me find or Didactic, under Didactic and all the major, you know, platforms, outlets, iTunes title, whatever, Apple Music title, whatever it might be. And I guess the last thing I have, one of these kind of single link things, this solo two link, uh, solo.to slash David Lopez Audio. And <laughs> you click on there, shoot, you will find everything, links to everything. Articles, uh, podcasts, I've been on website, all the platforms, you name it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will make sure to have links in the show notes page. And, and again, I appreciate your time today. No, thank you so much, Brian. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Quick reminder for those of you in the Atlanta area. In two weeks, I'm performing at this awesome little microbrewery and performance venue in Peachtree City, Georgia, called Line Creek Brewing Company. That's going to be on Saturday, October 30th from 8 to 11 p.m. The event is called Booze in the Bubble, that's B-O-O-S, and it's a family and pet-friendly costume party, and I would love to meet you guys. We've got over 500 people interested so far on the Facebook page, and so I think it's going to be a great turnout and a lot of fun. I'll have links for everything in the show notes page. Just head over to ProducerLifePodcast.com and look for episode 86. Until next time, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today.